0: training tuesday 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 good morning bracken
1: good morning kirk welcome back i'm a little concerned your life has fallen apart <laughs> okay <laughs> all right <laughs> why well there's a this is the first time i think since beginning recording with you that there is a glaring gap in your shoe wall and i don't i don't understand why so, I imagine things are all out of sorts on your
0: end over there. This is actually a good thing. I used both of those shoes since Friday. Okay. And didn't get around to replacing them because I was out and about being busy. So, my body is returning to good.
1: Oh, what, what shoes are, are missing? It's just inter- it's weird to look at you with, like, normally it's this perfect mm-hmm. backdrop with these very organized shoes and there's a gap. So, it's kind of bothering me. More than
0: anything. Well, I had a pair of Nike Zoom Streak 6, which were one of my favorite racing flats ever back in pre-Super foam days, but now it's it's become more of a lifting Metcon shoe for me because it's a very flat bottom, and it's a pretty stable base, and it's light, and I love the way the flying it feels. Mm. So I got back to lifting, and that felt really good, and I was doing some sled work this weekend, and then I had a pair of studded shoes for for winter running, which I also use this weekend. We had a literal, literal sheet of ice across our city. Mm. Like My parents were chopping a quarter inch, half inch in some places off their walk.
1: I saw Lisa's uh, updates.
0: Yeah, it was wild.
1: Okay. So
0: that, that wasn't even me getting on the trails. That was me wearing it outside so I could shovel in salt because it was a sheet of ice. That sounds like fun. I mean, we would dive right into the serious stuff the kids went outside to ice skate on it and mira knocked herself out on the ice cuz it was so slick which is a terrifying thing to have your 4-year-old unconscious in your arms
1: oh she actually actually not like sort of she knocked herself out
0: again to overuse the word literally literally oh my god is she okay yeah she's good. she she's done this twice she had it once when she was about one. It's like a a borderline knockout where she loses consciousness for just like two seconds. And the last time it terrified us. Like we were on pins and needles for the next 24 hours, like watching her like a hawk. Mm-hmm. And showed no ill effects from it. Same kind of thing. She fell backwards and hit her head in the kitchen. And this time, same thing happened. And then... The next day, well, first of all, we were, you know, doing all checking for eye dilation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I was asking her questions about it. And I don't know how much history you have with people having head injuries around you, but it seems to be a direct correlation to how hard you get hit to how much of the previous memories you lose. Sure. So, like, the longer you're out for, the harder you get knocked out, the less of the incident you remember. Whether it's just the five seconds leading up to it, the five minutes leading up to it, the five hours leading up to it. She remembered the whole thing. Okay. She remembered the kids trying to help her when she was like staggering before she went down. So that was there. And then the next morning, come downstairs and I go down to do a workout and the kids come down and join me. And the next thing I know, she's doing cartwheels in the basement. I don't know if you've ever been concussed. Once. Once. The you don't even have the option to try to do a handstand or a cartwheel, yeah. so she was right back to good. So it's it was a scary thing, but it's maybe you get some freebies when you're young. Maybe my my concussion happened when I was young. I was like
1: seven or eight. I remember oh, really? it pretty vividly though. But was she ice skating on the driveway on the road?
0: On the side, we have like a walk on the side of our house. It wasn't really ice skating. It was just in your winter boots, running and sliding.
1: Uh, okay, yeah. It's always that rare occasion when you can go actual ice skating on uh, non-typical ice skating surfaces in the Midwest. This one you could have. Well, I'm glad she's okay. Speaking of shoes, the shoe wall, and I know you have some, what, Alpha Flies up there?
0: Yeah, I have Alphas at the very top. Yeah.
1: Um, I don't know who this gentleman is, um, but this weekend in Jacksonville – I saw somebody standing in line with the alpha flies on <laughs> for the sprint on Sunday. I didn't say anything and I didn't want to. He, he was a gentleman who had nothing else on him. There was no, it was obvious there were no other secondary pair of shoes. And I had myself a real good laugh inside.
0: I mean, that poor guy got a group on or something, signed up for it, and was ready mm-hmm. to go rip up a trail 5K smooth trail. He knew the area is flat.
1: Now, I guess I didn't think about that. He could have been running the trail race in which was pretty clean. Was it? And fairly packed. So maybe maybe, maybe he knew something I didn't Now that I think about it. But I assumed he was running the, the OCR race. But the Alpha flies, oh, I was like, son,
0: those are not going to help you out here. On the list of super shoes I would take on the trail, the alphas is not head of the class. I can tell you that. Mm,
1: yeah. Although I did, when I was speaking with Chris Brown this weekend... And I think you probably already know this because you're such a shoe guy, but the uh, the Hoka trail shoe with two carbon strips. Tecton X.
0: Sounds like they're going to be real spicy. It sounds like if you took the original Challenger and added a little bit of the Carbon X to it and then made it lighter than the Evo Speedgoat.
1: Yeah. Um, and it I, I believe it has... Has sort of the grip of like the Zonal, or more mm-hmm. um, more like the Zonal. Why am I blanking on the name right now? The other shoe with minimal tread. Jeez, Torrent. Torrent. Similar. So it's not super aggressive like lugs or anything, but uh, but which would make sense with a carbon fiber plate. But
0: I actually love that that Vibram. I always say Vibram, the Vibram Mega Grip that mm-hmm. the Speedgoat have, and the. The beefed up version that the Mafate have. They they have this new Mega Grip Light, and it's like fifty percent weight reduction, and the lugs are smaller, mm. but actually smaller as well, like not just in depth but in diameter. And I feel that that helps. They grab better that way. Yeah, I like. I actually like that. So I really like the idea of that that light base that Vibram's using now. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that shoe coming out. After hearing about it. There are two shoes that I will be purchasing this year that I'm going to spend a little cash on on the trails. It's that one, the Hoka Tecton X, and then the Salomon Pulsar Soft Ground. Oh, yeah. Between those two, I feel like that fills everything that's not super sloppy.
1: Yeah, I'll be buying it as well, for sure.
0: So speaking of super sloppy, I saw some videos. Uh, Alex Walker put up videos of her son doing the, I think, it, what is it, 14 to 17? Yeah, yep. group? That was literal soup, like slop. This weekend got weird on day
1: two. Oh,
0: man, Kirk. Uh-huh. So I want to hear
1: everything. Do you want to start with the race in the weekend, or do you want to start with our question of the day, I guess? Do we want? To, what do we want to do here? I say, I say we're going to spend a lot of time talking about the weekend, I think. So I think we start with the question of the day, which is something I want to chat about, and then we dive into it. Are you cool with that? Then we just keep flowing after that. I get it. We just spent two straight episodes talking about ourselves, with our couples <laughs> we, therapy. We sure did. I got a lot of comments this weekend about that.
0: Well, do you see my screen name today? Yes, <laughs> therapy still needed. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what to- sort of therapy that that refers to.
1: It was actually satirical. I I'm feeling pretty pretty good about this weekend, which I think would be contrary to what most good. people would think. Uh, very good spirits, but um.
0: Let's talk about, let's do the question of the day. Cause I really like it. Why don't we hop into that? All right. Well, this is one, you received an email from an athlete and I received a DM from an athlete who I don't know if they know each other, but it's almost the identical question.
1: Yeah. For my athlete, it was like a note. Like I notice X on weeks, I do this. And then your question was almost repeating that in a different way. So.
0: And that's the second time we've had that recently where people, I got two messages almost verbatim, one from one of my athletes and then one from someone I don't know that were almost verbatim. Almost like they had said, hey, let's just bombard this guy with messages and it'll increase our chances of getting an answer. It's working. All right. So if people send multiple messages about the same thing, we generally feel. There's, there's something there. Let's attack nope. it. And this is one that's interesting because I read it and thought, I don't know if I want to get into this because I don't really have any passion about this. And I read it out loud to you and you said, absolutely. <laughs> we need to hit this. Yeah. This one pumps me up. This is how good couples work. They balance each other out because I mm-hmm. wouldn't have addressed this and you're making me. <laughs> making you? I don't know. I, I, you are bringing me along for the ride and I'm going to be better for it. I hope so. Is there any science, scientific, or anecdotal evidence behind the benefit of incline work a couple of days before a quality workout? I've noticed that I run my best and fastest a day or two after getting some decent vert in my legs. It seems counterintuitive, but... And then I can't read the rest of it. But the pattern is consistent for me. Now, I read that and thought, nope, I don't... I don't think that works. But mm-hmm. since you had some interest in it, it got my wheels turning, and I think it's worth discussing.
1: I agree with you, Bracken. Um, so, and who asked that question? I think we should give them some credit. Now, this is a screenshot, and it always cuts it off a
0: little bit, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, sometimes it can. I'm going to pull it back up. I already already closed it out because I wanted to give you my undivided attention. This is mm-hmm. Micah Reeves something. The last name, I assume, is what's missing, and it starts with a D. Micah D. All right. Well, well, Micah, my, my uh, athlete,
1: Luke Halterman, asked me or noted the exact same thing. Luke, shout out to you um, a few weeks ago about he said somewhere, and I quote, like, I have noticed now it's been a theme that after doing vert or like a vert quality workout earlier in the week, I always feel amazing on my Saturday effort. And so can we please incorporate vert as my last quality day before a race moving forward? That was his question. And now I um, have kind of been noticing the same thing with myself. If you notice this week, I did some 15% intervals um, and my body felt really good this week. My legs did. And I've noticed that theme in the past as well, um, which is why I've started to play around with incline work the week of races. So I feel like I've noticed it too. It's something you have not noticed. With yourself?
0: Correct. But you can't notice what you don't have. I have never messed around with that. Ever. But in training, you have. Yes, but I think because I train exclusively alone, I always feel pretty meh and quality workouts. Mm. And I do a lot of perceived effort. And so... Like I don't have a lot of days where I'm like, oh man, I'm so fast today because I'll I'll vary up the terrain of where I'm doing it. Not always, but when I'm doing big vert, I'm usually training for, like if I'm doing incline workouts, I'm usually training for, for a specific wor- race. Mm-hmm. And that race usually doesn't include flat, smooth running. So when I do my flat ground running, if at all, during that time, I really vary up the terrain and where I do it. So I might be doing three-minute intervals four different times throughout that block of training, but it might be on four different surfaces because that's sure. not the purpose of what I'm doing there. And as I'm saying this out loud, I'm realizing the flaw in <laughs> and the system that it's making it a little harder to, uh, to track my flack around running because of that. But no, as a result... I haven't noticed that at all. And then on race day or race week, I intentionally stay away from all Hills because of something John Yasko said to me like eight years ago. Now I'm starting to think maybe I'm leaving something on the table here. What, what did, what was John Yasko's reasoning? It was just probably a throwaway line when we were doing a cool down after a race, probably would have been Palmerton or something like that back in the day. And he's like, yeah, I don't, I don't run any hills within seven to 10 days. I get my last big hill workout, maybe 10 days out. And I don't touch any vert prior to that or after that before the race so that my legs are, are just ready to rock. And Mm. I thought, yeah, that's really smart. And now I'm thinking about it more like, what do we do before a flat race? That's going to be fast. We run Mm -hmm. flat and fast. Right. What do we do before a, like a short, spicy OCR race? We do some short, spicy transitions to be ready, and maybe I want a little bit more of that recent memory in my legs. Well, I understand,
1: you know, when the legendary John Yatskow speaks, you listen. He probably thinks about what he says more than most anybody I've spoken with. So I understand, you
0: know, maybe that's sinking in a little bit for you. And eight years ago, I wasn't as far along in my pursuit of running knowledge. And John, when you speak to him, is a very, very well-spoken young man who clearly has the the knowledge behind what he says, and he spent time looking into it. So at that time, if I'm trying to put myself back in my own shoes, I probably felt inferior and like I was just mm-hmm. the pupil there and I needed to, to, to learn from him, which is a great way to approach life, but... I didn't, I didn't, I don't think I had the confidence to say, I'm going to take that and test it. Said so I just took it verbatim. And then as I moved along in my journey, I never reassessed that one line that he might not even have meant the way that I took it.
1: Yeah. Well, Ugh. to serve ourselves, you know, our own like patronage here, I feel like we, we've done a lot of studies between our athletes and ourselves now over the years I would say I don't know how other coaches work but like we really play I would say you and I play a lot more than others do and some could look at that as a fault but I would say like it's experimental for a reason and you learn more most of them end up being fails but ultimately you gather to that knowledge base and a few new things mm-hmm. stick right like we definitely I don't know I feel like we stir the training pot a little bit more than others and got a lot of lot of data points over the years, I would think.
0: Kirk, I'm feeling so exposed here. I think if you looked back through every training plan that I've written in the last eight years, I don't think you would find incline work six days or closer to a race. Not even one time on mm-hmm. hundreds and hundreds of training plans. I don't think you would find one example of incline work within six days of a race. And maybe single digits was seven days. And I can tell you if it's within seven days, it was an aerobic max gain. Okay. That's the only thing. One week out, an aerobic max gain. I think that's the only incline work I've prescribed in nearly a decade, a week out from a race.
1: You know, what's funny is when I think back to maybe it was coincidental or not, um, first time I did heavy vert the week of a race was the Minnesota sprint. Um, three years ago, I got about 3,500 feet of vert on a Thursday, taking it easy, shakeout run Friday, race Saturday on a ski hill felt amazing. Um, fast forward to Tahoe that year. Uh, I did two, one intervals uphill on a mountain by choice saying all I've done is vert leading into Tahoe. Guess what? Toed the start line in Tahoe felt great. And then this year in December, I went to Southern Flo- or central Florida did vert intervals went down? Legs felt good. This week, vert intervals went down to Florida. Legs felt good. So I'm four for four on vert work now, and racing or feeling good. So um, I don't know when you start when you start noticing that trend. Um, and those were and in, in some that was before both you know mountain races and flat races. So um, you said something to me before the race bracket
0: in this week. I want to pause you right there. Mm-hmm. I want you to remember this, but I want to I follow up to this with something I read a couple months ago. Okay, I'm just searching this document right now.
1: Okay, I'll just wait.
0: I'm sorry. I <laughs> know this is tedious, but I...
1: I'm a steel trap. I'll re- I'll remember my train of thought, Bracken. Do,
0: I don't remember do, the exact do, quote, do, so I'm just do, I'm searching one do, specific do, word in a document, and it has 26 occurrences.
1: Do, do, <laughs> it's do, do, take a while. Do, I'm at
0: 17. Do, do, do. This better
1: be good. I don't know how good it is. I'm on the edge of my seat now.
0: But I feel like it's relevant. Well, can't don't you remember it? I do, but I want to get it right. I can't find it. Ah! This concept of what you're talking about has some bearing in the running world currently where I believe Steve Magnus and Marius Bakken have both talked about this. They talk about doing hard, fast pavement running or... Steve Magnus has talked about hard, fast pavement running and the days leading up to a road race, particularly a half or full marathon that a lot of people want to go and get on soft trails to save the pounding on their legs. But it actually decreases like the, and I forgot the word he uses. Some sort of probably like elasticity where like
1: the rubber band return of energy effect
0: yeah and you actually lose a little bit of that that resistance to impact mm-hmm. the elasticity, some muscle tension, and then Marius Bakken talked about it, and I believe that that uh gerd Ingebertson uses Marius Bakken's theory is like ninety five percent of the way there, and they both talk about having some muscle tension and some elasticity where you have to do fast work in the days leading up to your race. In order to have that little, you know how Albin talked about having a little bit of fatigue or tension in his legs. Mm-hmm. That same kind of thought that it's it's more of a a greased pattern, like that groove is greased a little better when you do it in the days leading up. And if it applies to flat ground and it applies to speed, in theory, it should apply to uphill as well. But you don't want to get away from it. You want to use it in a manageable dose. Yeah. But so, and Maris Bakken is one of the pioneers of of the very modern endurance training system that's putting world champions world records Olympic medalists all over the place right now okay well there may be something to that so I I think we just add your head Steve Magnus Maris Bakke and Kirk DeWint the Mount Rushmore of coaching currently put me on it no
1: this is this is just by coincidence that it's something I'm noticing and and it may not be true for everybody I don't know but what I was going to say um before that um little blip there was you know what you said to me on Wednesday? We talked, um, I believe we talked after recording our therapy session with me. And mm-hmm. I said, I had a really bad workout today on Wednesday. I was like, my legs and body still don't feel back from being sick. And I did 15% intervals, uh, two minutes on, one minute off, and then one minute on, one minute off. And it was bad. Like I felt terrible. My metrics were okay, but my body felt bad. Do you remember what you said to me? The first thing I said is good. Get it out now. Okay, after that, do you remember this, the second thing you said to me?
0: I said, essentially, you're working 3K pace or faster.
1: Okay, maybe the third. No, I don't remember. <laughs> I'm thinking of a different thing you said. The thing you said to me was, well, think about this. You said, you said, well, today, even though the interval workout didn't feel great, you had to work for every single stride you took today.
0: Mm. Explain that. What does that mean?
1: When you're running uphill, you can't coast. Gravity stops working for you and starts working against you more and more as the incline increases, right? On flat ground running, essentially it's a controlled fall. But when you start increasing the incline, it turns into real work. There's no real, maybe a minor, you know, less and less percentage of controlled falling and more and more of forward propulsion with the Mm leg, so to speak. And so um, you said, well, you had to work for every step today. And in Jacksonville, you're going to have a lot of chance to coast, and you're not going to have to work for every step. And damn it, Bracken, if there weren't truer words spoken, really unintentionally, I think it's true. I think working for your stride in an incline workout or chasing vert, perspectively, I think makes flat ground running often feel easier. Rating of perceived exertion. Not only that, but my take on it is incline work is super impact evasive, meaning that it is significantly less impact than flat ground running as well. So you're taking way less pounding. So yes, it burns up your quads and your glutes and the insertion of your hamstrings up top and your calves get torqued. But really, where does damage come from? Damage comes from impact. So I'm starting to develop this theory that, yes, even though incline work is hard, you're taking minimal impact, you're working for each stride, and then prospectively on race day, You've come off a a high heart rate workout, but taken minimal damage. And prospectively, the flat ground running just seems easier. And so there's no science behind it that I know or research study that I've read, but it's a theme I've noticed. Um, and so that's my theory on it. And I don't know if it would ring true for everybody, but that's how I feel about it as I sit here today. I don't know if that, if you could track with any of that.
0: Well, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, why do people run against, why do sprinters run against a parachute mm, Yeah, or against a sled or do, why do people do work with weight vests on? It's to do the Fred Cleary 120% rule. Like you're having 120% of the resistance you would encounter. And if you reduce some of that down, plus uphill has more rear chain engagement, which almost all runners struggle with. Mm-hmm. And so you're forced to utilize areas that you can kind of coast through other ways. So you're right. That I do like that. And it's, is one of the, you said this a lot in your couples therapy episode. Wow. As we're talking about this, it's got me thinking, well, th- mm-hmm. this is that for me now, as we're saying everything here, it has me thinking this is now mandatory for me to start messing with.
1: I th- Yeah. I think, I think the one thing or the caveat there would be the downhill portion. Let's say you were to do these workouts on real terrain. I did this recent one on a treadmill um then you just gotta then there's tricky if you're th- fifteen hundred feet up the mountain, you gotta get back down, and that's where mm-hmm. you can start losing your return on investment there with some eccentric damage going slow or fast, you take damage going downhill um so that's that's
0: the one asterisks I feel like so now you have me thinking, okay there have been two blocks of training I've done in the last few years where I did exclusively hill work. And one was leading up into the Devil's Lake and then Lake Tahoe Ultras that I ran. Was that 2020? Mm, Lake Tahoe was 2019. 2019. And then this last fall where I did it leading up to the Tennessee Mile. In both of those races, I hit an, an, a race along the way that was flat and felt surprisingly good. Huh. I ran that road mile. That was the only flat work I really did. And I felt surprisingly fast. And then that two days before City Field, I jumped outside and did that fan bike 5K. And every 800-meter run I did, I felt really fast and efficient. And that was the only flat ground work I'd done. I'd done a lot of uphill but an equal amount of downhill. And so now looking back, that week I hadn't planned on racing City Field, so I'd already done my Tuesday incline workout. Oh, well. Maybe there is more there than I had ever... This is why we can't have blinders on Kirk. This is why you can't get set in your own ways yeah. because you don't know what you don't know. But that extends to you don't know what you're doing incorrectly either. It's not always just about learning new stuff, it's about the things you think you already know that isn't right.
1: Well, I mean this isn't this isn't fact or objective what we're speaking of here and I have a feeling
0: it won't work for everybody. But um you just described endurance training. <laughs> this isn't fact and it may not work for everyone. It's That's true. endurance training. That's true.
1: Well, I'm just saying I don't want everybody going out and doing 30% work and then showing up to a race flat, but uh I think I think what we're getting at with these two, you know, my my athlete Luke and then the question we got is maybe you're on to something and if if you feel it's true, like I understand wanting to work race specific pathways the week of a race. Like, hey, you got a fast flat race, let's go fast and flat that week. But I also think of the match theory, like, did I burn my fast, flat match for the week? And is it going to take me another 7 to 10 days before it's fully ready to go again? Like, I know that sounds stupid, but um, in college, I noticed it all the time. If we did really short, fast, hard work the week of a race, I felt sometimes a little flat on race day. And if we did longer stay power stuff that was slower than race pace, which seems super bizarre, a lot of times I felt like pretty springy on race day and I brought that up to my coach even once being like if we do really hard short stuff three days out I notice like I don't have that gear until like later for some reason like there's also like maybe did I use that up for the week I don't know see we can all play head games with ourselves anyways yeah it's worth looking into it
0: is and I think that I mean it seems like half of coaching yourself or others is figuring out which of those little caveats apply to you you, know, you might be a an uphill or long grindier stuff before a race week guy, and there are definitely people who respond to the opposite. But figuring out all the great systems and examples in the world don't matter if they don't apply to you. And I think that's one of our our big issues in the, in the running world is that we always try to just slap on to our own training something that worked for someone else. You always hear people ask, oh, could you release your Strava from this last month of training leading up to the race? And I always think, oh, you're playing with fire, there, my friend. Yeah, <laughs> I hope you're looking for trends and not for <laughs> just like wholesale workouts. Yeah, that's true.
1: But I think to like just in in my developed theory, if it is true to answer the question directly, I think it has to do with rating of perceived effort, meaning you ne- if you're you don't have to fight for every stride. So if you have a flatter race coming up. So that's helpful if you do uh, uphill work the week of a race. And then just the the minimal impact. Sure, there's muscle fatigue and muscle belly fatigue. But as far as like the insertions of those muscles and like that joint impact, which is where most of our power comes from, right? The tendons and ligaments and the, the elasticity, you know, effect that it has to propel us. Those take less pounding in that regard, which might just save it a little bit for race day. That's That's maybe why you could feel better. And that's just trying to put a bow tie on it for people if it's true
0: i don't think at all i feel like there's smoke coming out of my ears over here this week i was getting back to training after this back nonsense and whatever else was happening i did threshold intervals at six percent incline on the treadmill because i didn't want to, to jar my lower back but i felt strong enough to run and i did 30 minutes worth of threshold intervals And I did 20 minutes of sled work prior, and then I did some rec bag running afterwards. And I did that on Thursday. And on Saturday, I had to hold myself back from doing anything harder. Because? Because I wanted to work again because I didn't have any of the damage associated with a workout like that. I had done work enough during it that I had to stop the workout because I was starting to exceed my threshold limitations. But usually that correlates with the level of pounding and deadness in my legs which wasn't there. And because I'm untrained in terms of quality right now, it should definitely be there. And it wasn't there. And I was kind of feeling disappointed. Like, man, I could have got more work in. I should probably do it again today, but I have enough knowledge to tell myself, no, don't worry about it. It's fine. We're adding up sessions. We're not trying to be a hero. But that, again, in the perspective of this conversation, is right. I got all the work in. I got my body to the point that it needed to be done, but I didn't take damage
1: yeah it's worth the discussion don't look at me this is i'm looking right at you these were two other athletes who noticed the same thing and then made it worth our time to talk about so hats off to you i'm just playing the role of student today through and through this is exhilarating none of this is fact should we uh should we pivot
0: to uh to you let's pivot to you kirk You've earned it. I've earned it. You led me today to the down the path of knowledge, and so now let's talk about you.
1: All right. What do you want to talk about?
0: Well, do you want to start from the beginning as if the audience knows nothing, or do we want to give the end result and then talk through how it went and how you feel?
1: Um, we can talk as the audience knows nothing, which is um, which I think makes sense. So I went down to Jacksonville, Florida this weekend, um, which was a big weekend on the age group front because um, it was the first age group national series race where there wasn't a let's just call it national series elite race in conjunction so um so it was a big race weekend for a lot of people and I went down there to race the elite race as a tune-up so to speak before we go to San Luis Obispo in less than two weeks wanted to find out where my fitness was at wanted to get a hard effort in to stimulate the system and then support a bunch of athletes down there um as well so I went down there to do back-to-back races, the super on Saturday, which is roughly a 10K, and then the sprint on Sunday, which is a 5K. And my reasoning for picking Jacksonville over Arizona, which was also a race weekend, was Arizona looked fast and flat and firm, and Jacksonville is always a muddy, gross mess, which is a lot of work. So uh, I would ch- I chose the the place that I thought would be a little more miserable and uh, <laughs> and also then was able to see athletes. So that's where I was this weekend racing. And it turns out I thought Arizona was going to have the better competition. And little did I know that a couple people didn't go to Arizona who I thought would. And I would say day one in Jacksonville had a more stacked field than day one in Arizona. And yeah, then I agree. day two evened out. So it was a nice surprise to have like we had real races both days. Like real get yourself ready for a national series event races against really good competition. And so I was happy at the start line, believe it or not, to be like, dang, Tyler Veerman comes walking in and, and there's Alvaro and there's Chris Brown and Nick Rikers here. And Leon Kofed from Denmark. I was like, we got six of us here who could potentially win today. Um, that's rare for a, for a regular season race and quote. So, so that's where I was this weekend.
0: There are some names there that don't hit as hard as some of the other top names in the world, but their racing sure does. Mm-hmm. Tyler Veerman is one of those names where someone reads it on the start list and be like, oh yeah, he's pretty good. And then they show up and realize I'm racing one of the best people in the world. He, he hasn't yet, his reputation hasn't yet transcended what it used to be. Mm-hmm. And he continually puts it down on people.
1: Yeah. And, uh, and same thing, you know both of them have had Chris Brown and Tyler Veerman have had national series podiums. Tyler Veerman knocks on the door. I don't think he's finished worse than fifth in the last, like other than a, maybe a, a rare race in the last half a dozen dozen U S national series. He's raced and runner
0: up at ultra world championship.
1: Yep. And you look at, you know, Nick Riker's coming around, the best fitness he's had. in in a long time, he ran a five KPR recently and Alvaro Vasquez, just ran 538 pace for a half marathon on the roads. So you combine all of those athletes, and, you, and then you got me, who I guess I was a little curious as to where my fitness was at in the mix, and, and Leon Kofed, who's a world champion in OCR, uh, multi-time world champion in OCR, and, and you got yourself a stew, Bracken.
0: You do have yourself a stew. Now, you you were a little out da- of high school coach who always used to say, ah, you got your dobber down. I never knew what that meant. Was you saying bobber? Because a bobber down, that's a good thing. Like a like a bingo dauber? I don't know what a dauber is. You got your dauber. Crocs, you got your dauber down. Don't get your dauber down, Crocs. <laughs> like, I, I don't know what that means. It, it used to mean like you're pouty or you're you're, you're feeling kind of apathetic or whatever. It is. I, no one knew what it meant, but you got the gist of it. But you had your dauber. A dauber is a bingo term. I used to play bingo with my grandma. But, my grandma but is it mom. bad to have your dauber
1: down? Maybe that's like when you've given up on the game. You got your dobber in your hand when you're playing bingo, yeah. and when they your call big, your giant number, you, fat
0: sharpie marker thing, yeah, you
1: dob the number, and it's satisfying. But maybe when you realize you're too far gone, like you're not going to win this game, you just set your dobber down. And you're like, "Fuck it, I'm I'm out. It's not. I'm not going to win this one." I think that's what it means. Okay, it's a bingo term. Somebody help me out on this if you're listening and know.
0: It's the best explanation I've heard.
1: Do you know that I played bingo with my grandma on my 21st birthday? That's how I spent my 21st birthday.
0: No, but I, uh, I like it. I'm even more attracted to you now. Yeah, good. Anyways, continue. A guy who takes care of his mom and his grandma is worth it in my book. I agree. So you had your dauber down a little bit last week. You had some recency bias. You had been sick. You hadn't had some good workouts. And you forgot what the rest of us still remembered which was several straight months of 9 through 16-mile quality sessions where you're just ripping. Mm-hmm. And even if your fitness had started to, to I wouldn't say erode, but come back down to earth a little bit, and even if your body had started to give you some more issues, you had accrued some quality fitness building since fall. And I was hopeful that your recency bias of fitness and sickness did not negatively impact your mindset on race day and then i saw one little clip it was hard to find a find video but there was one little clip and your nose was right in the race and i thought i don't care what happens i don't care what the result is i want it to be good for you but you stuck your nose in it and that made me a happy man what clip did you see i saw nothing of the sorts it was a start. It was James, N- not James Nair, not James Nair. That was, that was Arizona, but it was, it was hmm. the start of a, I think it might've even been day two, hmm. but it was just someone, it was coming off and making like the first turn into the woods maybe. Okay. But you were, you were right there. Maybe coming over the first wall and into the woods. It was like a six second clip, but you were right in it. Sure. That's all you have to, to work off of it. But it told me that you were racing.
1: Yeah. Not much video was out there. Um, and, and I want to talk about the age group races and what I thought of the whole event, but I'll just recap, recap my race for anybody who wants to walk through the experience together. But, um, I'll tell you what you look, you look at my results on paper and which were what Uh fifth place on Saturday and fourth place on Sunday. Um, yeah, which is a tough one. Um, uh, and you look at the time gaps and you, you know, if you just see it on paper, you say, well, his fitness is not where it needs to be. Obviously there's some gaps there. And, and I made two mistakes, and I haven't made since 2016 and 2018. I, uh, I missed the spear throw on Saturday, uh, through first about 15, 16 minutes into the race, came into her coice with the group. What do you mean through first on Saturday? You were the first one to the spear throw. Uh, There was a group of three of us that came in together, four, me, Nick, uh, Chris, and Tyler. Uh, I was feeling very in control with a lot of decisions still to be made, and um, I have no idea what happened. Uh, I missed about two feet to the left. I mean, not even in the same ballpark. I mean, I don't know if the rope got hung up slightly and pulled. I don't know if, like, way out of sorts, not sure. So I went to the burpee pit. Um, but feeling good, we went out conservative on the super. We actually were chatting through the first mile. Um, me, Chris Tyler, Nick gap Delvaro by about 10 seconds. By the time we got to Hercoist and spear throw was right away afterwards. And, um, I missed the spear, no real excuses. I have no idea what happened other than I think I pulled it or, you know, who knows? And then, uh, but the spear left your hand first. Well, I was I was the first to the burpee pit, meaning nobody had run by me yet, so I was in the burpee pit. Chris Brown entered exact a, a second after me, so he we must have thrown roughly at the same time. Well, that's a big win. And I was ready to move. Yeah, I was feeling good. Um, to unbeknownst to me, like I I think I admitted that I had not been doing much compromised work. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't affect me at all going through and transitioning on obstacles, but man, coming off of those burpees, it was like gears that became unavailable to me and Chris Brown still had those gears, which I was very impressed with. Um, I was holding back not to run away from the field and I'm sure they would have countered a move if I'd made it early. Don't get me wrong. But, um, post burpees, it was just damage control. I think I came out ninth after burpees and, uh, worked my way back up to fifth the best I could was able to reel in a few athletes. I even came within 30 seconds of Alvaro by the end of the race Uh, Which I took as a win, but uh, was just damage control. So I worked really hard on a tired body. Second half of the race finished fifth.
0: So you went in with decisions and you left burpees with no decision left.
1: Chris Brown, uh, Chris Brown's a great dude. And he said, let's count these burpees together nice and steady and then let's get them back. And we counted out, he counted out loud one. We did them in sync for 30 burpees. Really? I've never heard of that,
0: <laughs> Chris is why well, you're different, and I like it,
1: yep, and so we got out of that, and he he popped up maybe a second before I did, and I tried to hang on to him, and I was like, if I hang on now, it's gonna be ugly. I looked down and um, my heart rate was in the one sixties, going into the spear, low one sixties, which felt really good for me, um, and I came out of burpees at like one seventy six one seventy eight and and I was like, shoot.' this is gonna be tough and and honestly the one thing is i gave up for about a mile i i just i I thought i was ready to contend for a win and and i haven't had a smack like that in a long time and then i started picking people off and, and getting some some momentum back and um finished fifth i was happy i caught leon made me work really hard caught leon in the last bit and um started racing again i would call it so that was good um And we can talk about lessons learned. And the next day in the super or sprint, um, we raced. Out of the gates, we raced. Like, it was National Series feel. It was people were ready to race. And we went out hard. Um, Alvaro came with a whole different mindset. Tyler and I were ready to counter. And we gapped the field instantly. We were running 515, 530 pace. On what kind of terrain? On the clean stuff that you could run. Clean meaning grass. Grass. That was pretty firm. Yeah. And, uh, and again, I came into uh spear throw, uh, came into Herquois with the group, me, Tyler Alvaro came off of Herquois and first went to spear through roughly the same time as Alvaro. We'd even threw a little earlier than Tyler, who was a few seconds behind us. Um, working hard, we were working hard, but I had matches left. I felt like, and and they threw us into the muck. I don't know what video you saw. But oh, you made your spear this time. Made my spear this time, yeah. Okay. Perfect perfect throw. Um, working hard, but like, hey, this is going to be a good race. Me, Alvaro, and Tyler are gonna. This is going to be fun. Went into the thick muck. Anybody who raced there knows the section before the Z-Wall, which was up to your knees. The kind that takes your shoes off. They have to pull on the trees to get your legs through. Alvaro yelled something in Spanish. He was not happy with the terrain <laughs> in there. And Tyler and I put some space on him. And then we popped out to Z-Wall. Um, Z-Wall, for anybody who was at the race, um, I'm, I'm sure it's going to sound like excuse-making for myself because conditions were bad, but it was the muddiest Z-Wall I'd ever been on, and it got caked by the... Uh, by
0: the Ocean. By, caked by what? The ocean. <laughs> Why? <laughs> it's a song. It doesn't matter. I'll take this part out. Is it? Cake by the ocean. I don't know
1: that song, and I like cake. I think it's a metaphorical cake. Got it, yeah, they like to do that, don't they? yeah um, and so it was great. It was really mucked up from the racers the day before, and the footholds were all wedged with hard mud that had like dried overnight, mm-hmm. so you couldn't even get your feet on the ledge and I wanted the the wall on the left, and Tyler got there a second before me and and that was my wall with the sun on it, right? Everybody picks it out, so I chose a different wall and um realized I was in trouble right away, like right away, mm-hmm. stayed on to the blind corner. Um, thought I'd fall multiple times. If I'm being straight up with you, like, I don't know what it was, but like, I could not stay on that wall. And I reached around the last blind corner, heard Tyler ring the bell. And I was like, shit, he's got me now by five, 10 seconds, panicked a little, tried to make a quick move around the blind corner. My hand slipped off the top block and I reached up instinctively and grabbed the top of the wall to save myself. And the, uh, the ref was right there being like, you can't do that. And I said, I'm sorry. And I went to burpees. (laughs) And so that was my race at the Z wall. I believe I would have fallen off regardless, if I'm being honest. I think if I didn't have the top of the wall, I would have ended up on the ground. And so I failed my first Z wall since 2016, Hmm. went right to the burpee pit. Alvaro came through, finished about 15 seconds later. And then I watched another three, four guys get through. Nobody failed, but me. I didn't have one person join me in the burpee pit. So I have no excuse, Bracken. And then, uh, then I went to work and I came within seven seconds of catching Leon Kofed for the podium. I worked so hard, harder than I've worked in the past recent months. And I thought there was a chance. I worked hard, hard, hard. I was like, F this, I was pissed. I planned on showing up and winning or at least having a kick finish to win with Tyler Alvaro. um, And I didn't get that opportunity, so almost made it up in, in the back half of that course. And I was proud of my efforts. I know it doesn't look like it on paper, but my fitness is better than it's been in the past few years. I think as good or better than any national series I've gone for. And so I feel really good about this weekend. Everybody keeps reaching out about asking like for a swan song or Mm patting me on the back. And I'm sitting here thinking like, I can't wait to get to San Luis Obispo and not, not mess up. So, so that's where I was at. That those were my races. And I feel, I feel good about my fitness. Great about my fitness. Um, feel bad about my execution.
0: That's the tricky part about some sort of hybrid racing, whether it's OCR or whatever, that when you, when you look at the results, of a standard race. The story is whoever got beat either had an injury pop up, mm. gave up, or at some point got dropped. Mm, your fitness wasn't there. Those are the only three ways r- ways to get beat, right? Yep. Give up, injury, or you're just not fit enough that day. Didn't have it. And that's not the case with with OCR racing. It's so many things play into it. And so when I saw your result day one, obviously the first thought across my mind is, oh man, I wonder if he wasn't ready. But then you start looking at pieces and this is how I justified it in my mind before I heard that you failed something. Mm -hmm. And it was, all right, the last time you raced Alvaro, Alvaro, you were what, 10, 15 seconds behind at the hour mark. Yep. And then you ran him down and passed him in that really nasty section before, you know, as everyone fell apart, you fell apart less and you got the win. So realistically, you finished the exact same place you were behind him. You just hadn't hit that extra 20 minutes of nasty racing. Right. 30 minutes of nasty racing. So I thought, okay, then they're both in the exact same spot they were the last time they raced, which was only two months ago. So that's a win. It was just last time it was a 13-mile race. This time it's a nine-mile race or whatever it was a six mile race he just didn't have the extra time to let his strength running play out he got to the hour mark the same place he was last time he just didn't have more time to catch him oh sure so i was happy for you i thought that's the same that's the same race oh yeah i and then you find out you lost i mean what is it minimum 90 seconds with burpees by the time you get to the pit do your burpees and get out and it could be longer Oh, what it affect – you know, as everybody who knows who's done burpees, what it did to
1: my running afterwards is catastrophic. It had – the burpees, sure, but it was the running that just – and my hat's off to Chris Brown. The fact that he made up that time, my goodness, what a freaking stud. I was unable to do that, so it Mm -hmm. falls on me. But, yes,
0: correct. You are correct. But so if I take my initial take of they're in the exact same place fitness-wise, they're at the same point in the race, it was the same race. Now you add in the fact that you had a 90-second penalty plus – maybe 30 seconds or a minute per mile for the next mile or two before you get back on it, then suddenly that's a really spectacular effort to be, what were you, 13 seconds behind Alvaro Alvaro in the first race? I think 30. 30. Okay, 30. Even if it was solely stand still for 90 seconds because of your spear throw miss, you still ran down another minute of the deficit you spotted. I was 27 seconds behind. So then I was real positive about it okay, mm-hmm. that's that was a third place race without the burpees, minimum, yeah, just just taking the time out, so suddenly i'm I'm real happy about it, and I didn't know that you were the first person to throw the spear. I thought you and Alvaro were doing Alvaro were doing your slightly gapped off the back, playing around with each other on course, and then he gapped you somewhere in the last mile or two. I didn't know that you were ahead, so that's a real positive race, yeah, there's a pack, me, Nick, Chris, and Tyler were packed up. Te-
1: Alvaro was already 10 seconds behind us, according to the the timing chip at at Hercoist
0: when we went into it. So, um, yeah. We so were December you told me, I'm real fit. I got to go out and test it, see if this fitness is real. Yep. And you didn't pass him until after an hour of racing. Roughly. And this time you came in a little unsure about your fitness, and he didn't pass you until you did burpees. So I take that as a real solid result. He just ran 1540 or fifteen fifteen something in a 5k so his fitness isn't bad we know he's a stud he's an underrated stud so i I was very my takeaway was this is a super positive weekend and it's in my opinion it's the it's tied for the best result you can have with your first race of the season the best thing that can happen is what happened to vj you win both days but it's a little closer than you'd like You maybe didn't have to push as hard as you'd like, and you know that A, I had some in the tank, and B, I'm a little nervous that if anyone else was there, I might have had an issue on my hands, and you get back to work with the confidence you just gained, and you have the aura of the winner. The next best thing that can happen is you go out there, run a fantastic race that only you know about and the guys that were around you, and leave with the stigma of having just got your butt kicked. And it puts you right back to work, but with the confidence knowing that I was in it.
1: That's exactly how I feel. It's totally true. Spartan does this cool thing so people were having a hard time finding results by the way. So Spartan does this thing now where if you go on Spartan, you click on race and then click on results and photos. They have live updates and then within your race, they actually have segment times now. Mm-hmm.
0: I don't know if you saw that. So like That didn't pop up until day 2. Okay. Or late day 1 during your race. The that that button to click, live tracking was not live. It, oh, it didn't pop it. up until much, much later. Okay. In fact, I was messaging Jess. I was like, "Hey, I know it's tough, but if you could give me updates, that'd be great." And she said, "Oh, I didn't go down with them." No. She's like, "Oh go shoot." <laughs> uh, but we were trying to find up results together.
1: Oh, you yeah, were—that's adorable. But but they have is they have like sectors now laid out so. You know, sector one, start to Hercoise. You just get an interval time, and you're placing amongst your peers. Like, how fast did I run from here to here? A lot of times you make Strava segments, and you can figure it out that way. Well, now they're doing it. So, like, race one on the super, sector one, start to Hercoise. Overall rank, first of 34. I got to the Hercoise first. Okay, shows right there. Sector two, Hercoise a seven-foot wall. I had the sixth fastest time. I had burpees in there and then seven foot wall to finish third fastest time, right on that sector, so it really allows you to break down the race nicely um and then compare your sectors, like what did the burpees actually do to me, or where did this make me fall um for example, day two in the sprint, um start to hercoist uh we all came in together, but um, I was third um hercoist to bucket carry. 11th out of 24 amongst the men and women because of my burpees. I had the 11th fastest split out of everybody. And then bucket carry to finish, the second fastest split. My bucket carry to finish was 942, only seven seconds behind Tyler's. And he didn't do burpees. And it was faster than Alvaro's or Leon's or anybody's. And you start breaking it down. If you want to find positives in your race, mm-hmm. you can go and do it now with these sector or find, yeah, find negatives too, I suppose. But, uh, but the, which I think is a cool feature to be able to do that because you can always get that calculated date off of Athlinks or chrono track. So I like that. They're doing that point being.
0: I do too. Mm-hmm. It was, it was really beneficial. I, I had a bunch of athletes out there and in Arizona and looking at that, it made it easy to read their race and where they're at fitness wise. hundred percent. Okay. I have a guy named Jared price who's going to have a pretty good season. He gave me a very detailed email after the race and I really appreciate it, but I know I can only trust it as far as his memory of the race goes. And that's not a knock on Jared. My own results, my race reports are the same way. I can trust it as well as I can trust my memory. And we've, there've been, you know, human studies that have been done where it shows that eyewitnesses are crazy unreliable. Yeah where they like have a, a car drive by, crash into a car, then everyone turns around and they say, what color was that car? And you'll get gray, black, white, <laughs> blue. And it happened six seconds earlier. So we know that our memories aren't always to be trusted. I appreciate all the race recaps. I take them at 100% face value. But now you get to also look at the segments that people ran and then you get to overlay that with their race report. And you can really see, all right, you were a stud here and here and this is where we really need to dial in. So it's, it's really easy to beg on Spartan right now because they're making a lot of mistakes, but they actually are also doing some very good things and everyone's saying all the negative things for us. So I don't feel the need to pile on. I will say that if they have this live tracking thing figured out and if they get it up in time for every race, it is a step forward from where it's ever been in the past
1: yep yeah i agree or even just to be able to comb through it afterwards um yeah is nice uh so yeah so that's those are my 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 race recaps um course was significantly sloppier on sunday than saturday saturday we had pretty nice conditions to be honest it was a dry jacksonville not a lot of rain recently but you put you know five thousand people through there and somehow it sucks all the water out of the earth and up to the surface and you know (laughs) seriously turns into it you saw some videos pretty gross um exactly we wanted my hat is off to uh to those guys like tyler alvaro nick chris leon um like they ran really tough and i made mistakes and they didn't and even when chris did make a mistake he made up for it and landed on the podium and so i got some work to do for sure but like tyler you ran great races man i think we would have had a hell of a battle day two, if i'm if i'm being honest um but uh I think I finished a minute 40 behind him and the sprints. And you start doing the math between burpees and running and you start wondering, um, but, uh, those guys executed. I didn't, and Tyler's going to be a force. He's going to San Luis Obispo. So it'll be, it'll be good to race with him again. Um, I don't think we'll see any of the other guys there that I was, I was racing against this weekend. Really? Chris Brown will be there for the trail race, but it sounds like they'll overlap. I don't think he'll be able to race cause he'll be working,
0: He'd be a. Well, that's good be news because he's certainly fit, strong on hills as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then just just noting, you know, just as the event as a whole, you know, all the negative stuff you're hearing about um, with, uh, especially with the backups on obstacles, um, sandbags were a disaster. People waiting for sandbags. Um, the amount of people I saw in those age group waves, like people came out in droves for the age group. Waves. I, I don't know if I've ever seen such dense fields really? and, and they need to find a way to separate those a bit or have extra lanes or have extra sandbags or bu- the buckets It's spread out enough. And in San Luis Obispo, which is next, which is a beast, it'll get spread out. So I don't see it being as big of a problem. Um, but when people are, you know, who cares if money or not money is on the line when people are invested, they're traveling, taking time out of their, their lives, spending money on travel to show up and have to wait for a sandbag or literally wait in line in what's considered a focal age group race at the Z wall, for example, completely backed up at helix backed up at spear throw backed up. I mean, you got some really fast competitive people who are actually waiting for things. That is, that's a tough pill to swallow. And so they do need to button that up. I don't know what that's going to look like, but it's unacceptable. It's just unacceptable. I got done with my race and was watching the people come in. I mean, they were backed up at Herkhoist, Spear Throw, Z-Wall, Helix. No, literally zero sandbags left in the sandbag bucket. Um, And up front in the elite field, uh, there were five of us together on the super on Saturday. And everybody's sandbag had a huge leak in it but mine. I mean, to the point where it was light sand trails leaking out the back everybody threw their sandbag on the ground instead of back in the bin, but me when we came around, because it, I mean, not tiny leaks. I'm talking like you could have emptied your sandbag if you didn't choose to block the hole. And so there's some, there's some things they need. They to all threw it out. on the ground and said, don't let anyone use this. Chris Brown, again, he's very vocal during races. Like I'm throwing this piece of shit on the ground or something. And, um, from what I saw, I threw mine in cause mine did not have a leak. Um, but point being is yeah they got they got those things that they they should be ahead of by now. they should have seen the the backup problem happening and and I would have been quite upset if I were an age group athlete mm. putting my emotional feeling and physical time into this and and getting backed up. so that was tough to see um you know, there were so many burpees on the rope climb, which was sli- i mean slicked with mud to the point where the rope was black, right, and mm-hmm. you couldn't there was no tread um, to grab. And then the Z wall was an absolute massacre. And there were, there were accounts of, there were so many people in the burpee pit and so many, they couldn't keep track of people were not doing their burpees. I had two athletes of mine say, I'm so frustrated with the cheating. Somebody slipped off a Z wall. The burpee pit was so full. There wasn't even room. There's two volunteers there to watch 10 people slipping off simultaneously. And they both witnessed people cheating at the Z wall and the rope climb. Um, Got to button that up in these races. Like it's unacceptable. So those were tough. Those were tough things to hear about by secondhand account. Which I'm a little disappointed. We don't want to end on a negative note. We don't plan to. But that's what I observed and then heard. Um, If you're going to put emphasis on the on the age groupers, you got to tighten that stuff up.
0: I mean, the only negative thing I'll say is just a logical comment. This is why there's a standard rollout process for new ideas and launches of products by companies. You do your your proof of concept, you do your dry run, you take feedback, you put together the final button-down packaged offer, and then you put it out there. And when you release the first three U.S. national series in this big, we're going to secretly reveal all the U.S. pro stops and then partway through think, hey, you know what we should do instead? Let's do some age group stuff. And then you switch it around on its head and you got six weeks to prepare for the first one and create a series out of thin air. These are the problems you run into. So it's you're selling a product that you can't you can't fulfill. And that's that's always frustrating to the customer. So this is why there is a process for this, which makes it very ironic that right now Joe's doing a a CEO boot camp television sure. show when uh maybe not following his own protocols for best practice, but yeah. it was a start and to their credit they did a lot. They they did fantastic coverage of the age groups. Absolutely. It was a nightmare trying to find information about you guys, but the age group got maybe the best social media coverage of any race I've ever seen Spartan do outside of some of the earlier world championships. So they, they did some things correctly, which is, I guess good. And maybe sad that we're giving them kudos for doing some things correctly. I'm not sure where I stand on that other than, there's potential, and I recognize their their effort that they're putting into the age group. Yeah, I agree with you completely. But now they've got two, three weeks to button it down for slow.
1: 100% agree. I'm very happy with the way they covered it. I was holding my breath a little bit. I'm sure you were, too, to see what sort of um, acknowledgement they would give to the racers, and it was great. It was great. I'm happy with that that product from the first mm-hmm. race, and maybe they knew what they were getting and getting into – with the obstacle backups, but it's not hard to put two more Z walls up or two more helix lanes, um, uh, things like that. The, the sprint's going to be the worst case scenario for traffic jams, especially on a course where failing is happening all the time. I looked on the Z wall. I went back after the race and went on the. Z- I did about ten runs through the Z wall, um, and at any given time, there were four athletes on every Z wall, yeah, stacked back up. Um, which you you just you just can't have
0: I have some thoughts on this, okay, and this is just my thoughts that don't matter, but if First you're going to put on a special race with special considerations and prizes on the line and a lot of notoriety on the line, then I think they should have special lanes. Hmm. I mean, this is an all day long open way, but not everyone there is competing, and so I think they should have a trained official. It could be a volunteer because this isn't a hard training to do. A trained official at every obstacle that's a sticking point like that. And there should be, I think they need to make two extra of everything. Two extra Z-walls, two extra lanes of monkey bar, two extra lanes of rig, two extra, like an extra drop point for sandbags. And you have a an official kind of like you would see in triathlon or in a road marathon where they have different distances or you have different finishing corrals, and there's someone waving people right and left. Mm-hmm. I think they should have that at those four or five or six obstacles. An official that just identifies people who are running up with purpose to the obstacle and those who are dawdling, walking, clearly not there competing. And just if you are running up with purpose, you get waved to the fast lane. Yeah. And if not, head on over to the wait in line lane. That way, the people who are clearly there. Not just like, oh, I'm going to get up here and I'm going to fly through the obstacle and I'm going to get back to walking. If they're out there racing, they get funneled to the fast lane. And that way you can cut down on that. So that when you have Cole come up or you have uh, Kevin Gelati come up or people who are running in amongst a bunch of their peers who aren't there to compete, they're not bound by the same backups. Yeah, I agree. And it wouldn't cost anything. You already have volunteers there. Just one extra one playing crossing guard just controlling traffic yep yeah i
1: agree with that i i guess we'll see how they respond again they got they got a beast coming up next for the age groupers which is gonna highly unlikely true they're gonna see backups on a probably a drier course i would assume too with probably less fail potential but yeah i think they need to do something there were a lot of frustrated athletes out there expressing that frustration so hopefully they just they heat it they learned and You know, I think the tough part is if you're one of the age groupers, you know, they set off age groups at different times and some really competitive people are, are taken off after hundreds of other age groupers who've gone before them and, and they're getting stuck behind some people who maybe shouldn't even quite be in the age group race. uh, You know, I hate to say it. And, and so then you, you run into a whole snafu of, of problems there. Some of the most competitive age groups are going after multiple other age groups. and, And that's a tricky thing. So I have another thought on that,
0: Kirk. All right. I think there needs to be the competitive age group wave, singular, that starts first. I think that every age grouper who is there for the competition, I'm doing the series, I'm trying to get after that $40,000 in non prize money, non-cash prizes. They all pay what, let's call it an extra $25 surcharge fee, and they all get a very bright noticeable headband and wristband sure. so that they recognize each other on course, they get preferential treatment on course, and they all go first. It's like the elite wave for the age group because you have some guys and and women in the 50 to 55 who can challenge for the overall title against a 17-year-old and a 24-year-old and a 32-year-old. But none of them see each other on course, and they're kind of just at their mercy of how hard can I push myself in this weird time trial, but I'm also hitting backups. Get all these people in the same wave and let them hit the same backups and let them actually race each other. Yep. You know, Bruce Jackson doesn't want to win his race by four minutes, and then Cole beats him by 30 seconds in a wave that happened 45 minutes later. That's not satisfying to anyone. Yep. Cole wouldn't mind losing if he got to go head-to-head. You know, that That's the kind of... That's the kind of thing I'd like to see. I think it's the the logical next step for Spartan to make is if we're really going to have these people race, let's let them race. I love that idea. Maybe like, hey, if you finish in the top three in your
1: age group in any race, you actually need a qualification code to get to the first, the first age group wave, which is non-discriminatory of your age. It's just you've podiumed in an age group race. You've yep. earned the right to race first, and then they send off the waves after. And I, that would be the best-case scenario because there's a lot of pride in the overall. Yes, you want to win your age group, but the, there's just as much pride with the overall ranking amongst all age groups. Everybody talks about that in their race recaps and their posting on social media. Maybe we should have a little chalk talk with uh, the back end over there in Spartan. It's a great idea. And it
0: wouldn't. Be, I don't think it would be difficult to do. <clears throat> Not at all. How many age groups are there? A lot. Three, allow three from each? Maybe four, maybe five, and Mm -hmm. that's it. Cap it. Let them in there. And you could use Jack Bauer's rankings, just like they did for the tier system, to figure out, we haven't had a race yet. Here's who's allowed in. And then Mm -hmm. from here on, anyone who also makes a top blank in your age group is allowed in. Yep. But I'd love to see a mass start age group race and actually let them race each other. Non-discriminatory of actual age. Separate is never equal, Kirk. Couldn't agree
1: more. Fantastic idea. Um, what else do you want to dive, you know, break, break this weekend down into, I think, you know, guys got the gist of it. Overall takeaway is, um, you know, strength running still wins. It still comes down to threshold running. Uh, you look at heart rate data after the race, you look at all that stuff. The fast, the flashy fast workouts where we run super fast are important for efficiency, but. It comes down to what, what can you hold for a long time? Mm -hmm. The elite race was one in 30 minutes on the, on the sprint. 30 minutes is a long race. It's an elite 10 K as you and I talk about. Um, people still get over, over worried about speed and undervalue threshold work at time, just those longer grindy efforts and training. And that's what racing is. And so, you know, and I think that's why I haven't done a lot of speed work, but yet I felt like my fitness was pretty good because I've done a lot of long grindy stuff. And that translates. It always translates. And so it's not a surprise to me to know that and, and, you know, have that be a takeaway from this weekend, but it's just always a good reminder.
0: Yeah. I want to write, remind people two things. The first piggybacks off that, and that is that we always get upset and worried that we're not going to be able to hang on for that first half mile or mile charge out the gates before people settle in. But it's a little less of a top end issue and more of a staying power issue. Like Everyone could maintain for the first mile. It's just what does it do to you? and the people with the big threshold can absorb what happens early and then get down to racing. Nope. People with really good top-end speed can get through it, and there's nothing left afterwards. So it's like you said, it's a good reminder that staying power is king. Yep. Second is that I don't care what sport you're racing in, duathlon, triathlon, OCR, trail running, track, road, marathon, it doesn't matter. Your first several races of the year, before you get to a race that you're actually priming for, You cannot hit the panic button. You can't. Stick to the schedule, stick to the plan, maybe refine some of the skill work, the ancillary work, or even some of the big pieces you can refine, but one result does not need to change what you're doing. You're in a certain stage of training for a reason. See your training block to the end and then revamp from there. But what I'm, I'm concerned for people is when you get these results and you hear people say, you know, I just got to make big changes. The time for big changes is after you've completed a block and it didn't work. Yeah. The time for micro changes is after the first race teaches you something that you maybe didn't fully understand in your training. You still have to see your training block through to the end, but you make micro changes. So that's just my PSA for everyone. Don't read too far into this first result.
1: Thank you for saying that. I had a couple of athletes, um, two maybe that I feel like are pushing the panic button just a little bit after how they feel things went, mm-hmm. a lot that were very, very happy, and and that's a good reminder because it's the same conversation I'm going to have with them, but where we're at with, with our build and process and what to expect and where our real focus is and all of that.
0: So good, good PSA there, Bracken. And not just for the physical side. Everything we do in life builds patterns. And if we push the panic button after a February race, it's going to become real easy to push that more and more and more in hop plan to plan to plan and maybe coach to coach or theory to theory. And you're never going to find out. We talked about this in the past of how to build a training plan. Nope. If you don't see a plan through, you don't even find out what it does for you. There's a reason periodization exists. And there's a reason that you don't peak with your first stage of training. It's not designed to peak you. And so you can't accurately judge what your training's doing until you see the plan through. So don't get in the habit of jumping ship immediately. Just course correct the ship. That's all. Yep. That's exactly right. Any
1: other takeaways or anything you thought of while we were chatting?
0: No. No. I think that this is a good place for people to be at with hearing your race recount, your recap, talking to some of their friends who raced, maybe having raced themselves. First race of the year is always positive. You either won or you learned, and that's it. Move forward, forget the bad stuff, except to keep you focused on moving forward. Mm-hmm. Best thing that can happen to you isn't a win.
1: No, sure it's great in the moment, but for long-term progress and what it means for the rest of your year, I think uh, I think a little humble pie will serve you better in the future. So if you're one of those, use it. Mm-hmm. Use it to your advantage. I'm one of them. So winning clouds the memories. 100%. It dulls the lessons. Either way, we can spin this so you're going to be a better moving forward, right? Absolutely.
0: Well, Kirk, from all of us at the Reading Public, congratulations. We love seeing you out there. We've all kind of become family right now. We have. It's good to see one of our own out there representing.
1: People are way too nice, by the way, way too nice. The number of nice people out there talking to me, coming up saying hey and thank you. number of people shouting my name on course who I didn't even know. I had... I don't know. Six people yell the word "Hansen" to me out there. Really? Oh my god! Well, that's
0: confusing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> On different race days, it was uh, everybody was asking where my Hansen was, and their Hansen was here and there. It's funny the little things that people pick up. Um, that is interesting. It made, it made my weekend really such a such a positive. If I could go back again and sign up. Buy the flights go down race knowing the outcome of the race I wasn't going to come home on the podium on either I'd do it ten times over I had nothing That's to do awesome. with the result just a good good vibes down there and good people so
0: well here's what I want to close with Kirk every time I go to a race since we've started up this podcast there's always a theme of what people talk about it's generally podcast related these days but more more and more I find that there's something that jumps out at people of what i'm talking about and they want to talk to me about it it's either one episode sticks out or one topic or one of my passions that's what they come up to me with so what did you get from people that was like your common what was the the thing that you heard the most was there an episode that was referenced the most or a topic or a personality trait what what was the commonality that you learned down there
1: the thing that jumps out to me is um that people resonate significantly more with the episodes we do that involve non-professional athletes that have their own unique story. I've had more comments about, we need more Steven Menyes and um like that. Like those are the episodes they've either gone back and re-listened to or asked for more of multiple, multiple conversations revolving. Nobody's mentioned any of our pro interviews, which I'm sorry to say, they they all referenced the relatability to the non-pros who have a real life story outside of, outside of racing. Um, so pick that one up quite a few times. Um, Hmm. which is my takeaway, which wasn't, wasn't anything personal, but people seem to, to really
0: like those. I haven't been out in public since we released this. What was the take on couples therapy? (laughs) Um, good. It was good. People, people
1: seem to enjoy it. Made them think a little bit for themselves. Uh, one gentleman said it was too frou for him and he had to shut it off, but his wife wanted to keep listening. And then a lot of, lot of like, man, that was deep and sure was metaphorical, like really got me thinking. One person said they went home and chatted with their wife after they got home from their run and listened to it about their relationship, made him think. Uh, Not even about their running? No, about their relationship with their wife. Wow, look at that. So maybe a little frou for some, but um, introspective for others, yeah. A lot of comments about the couple's therapy, yeah. But nobody was judging us negatively for our openness, so it felt nice.
0: We didn't even talk about USATF Indoor Championships this weekend. We'll have to save it. You have some races to catch up on. I can't wait. There were some finishes, Kirk.
1: I'm going to do some assault bike recovery work today, and I'm looking forward to it.
0: No spoilers here. If you haven't watched the Indoor National Championships that took place this weekend, find them online and watch them. Top two in every event earned a spot to indoor world championships in Serbia. So there was a lot on the line. Mm -hmm. Go watch them. They're pretty fun. All right. Well, till Friday, right, Bracken? Till Friday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday.